We turn today to Revelation chapter 10. Maybe you're wondering about the title of my message, The Man Who Ate a Book. Um, School teachers have probably heard all kinds of stories about dog eating a student's homework. Well, here's the story of a man who who ate a book. Revelation chapter 10, we begin reading at verse 1 in Jesus' name. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it. And eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you have given to us today. Thank you for the book of Revelation and for the various visions we see that you are using, O God, to teach us today. So I pray that you would guide us into your truth, Lord. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. I pray that the words of my mouth today, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I did a little research this week on some of the strange things that people eat. And here's what I've discovered. I wonder if this will make you hungry. In Japan, they eat uh, tuna eyeballs and crackers with embedded wasps. In Cambodia, they eat fried spiders In Indonesia, they eat either boiled or fried dragonfly. So I suppose you can ask at the restaurant which one you'd like. In Australia, they eat grubs. In Canada, some eat jellied moose nose, of all things. And maybe strangest of all, in the United States, we eat 
spam. <laughs> That's got to be the strangest of them all, right? Now, you might think it's a little strange that John was told to eat a book. And if it wasn't a vision, I suppose it would be. But like the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, what John ate was the Word of God. He was to take in the message that God had given, and then once he took it in, he was to share it. Okay? And that's really the calling for, for us who love the Lord, right? We come on Sunday and we take in the Word of God. During the week, we open our Bibles and we take in that Word. But we're not just to be spiritual sponges, right? We are to share it. So we take it in and we share it again. So as we look at this vision of John eating this book, there's three, three lessons I think we learn here. First of all, we feed on the Word of God because it is sent from heaven. It is no ordinary book. This Bible that we open this morning, this comes from God. This comes from heaven. Yes, He used different people to deliver the message, but it's the Word of God. It is sent from heaven. In the vision that John describes in our text, he sees an angel coming down from heaven with a little book. And this angel is described in verse 1 as clothed with a cloud, a rainbow on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he holds in his hand this little book which was open and he takes his stand, right foot on the sea, left foot on the land. And he cries out in a voice, a loud voice, as when a lion roars. Now, if you remember how John has described Jesus in the previous chapters, you will notice that this description is very similar. We see reference to a cloud. We see a rainbow. We see face like the sun. We see feet like pillars of fire. Not exactly the same, but very similar. The vision of Jesus and the vision of this angel. Some suggest that this is actually Jesus because in the Old Testament you have references to the angel of the Lord as being uh, the Lord appearing in human form. But John says that this this is another strong angel. So if it's another strong angel, there must have been a previous strong angel, and there was in chapter 5. And if that was an angel, I think we should understand this angel as like we normally would do. An angel, another strong angel. Not named. Maybe Michael was one of those named in Scripture, but, but an angel. And he is very similar in appearance to Jesus. And I believe the reason for this is because he is coming as a representative of Jesus. He brings from heaven God's word to John. So John is to receive that word as if it came from Jesus himself. Okay? And that's how we view the scriptures, right? Sometimes we say the Apostle Paul said this, or Mark said this, or John said this. But we need to understand that it really comes from God through these messengers. And so this book comes from heaven through this angel, 
given to John. Therefore, it comes with authority, the authority of God himself. Now, there are a couple of things we can say about this word that comes from heaven. It comes from the one who, who guides his people. Uh, several Bible scholars make the suggestion that the image of the cloud and the fire point us back to the Old Testament. Remember when the people of Israel were led through the wilderness for 40 years? It was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that led them day by day. And think of it, without God's guidance through the wilderness, would they have ever made it? Would they have survived? God guided them by day and by night. He provided manna from heaven. He provided water from the rock. Daily, God guided them. And so we think of our journey through the wilderness of this world. Uh, this fallen, uh, sinful world that, that we live in, we are headed in Jesus to a promised land, right? <laughs> a land that is fairer than day. That glorious place we call heaven. And we need to be guided along the way. And that's what God's Word provides for us. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You and I need guidance through this dark world. And we find it from this word that God has given to us from heaven. This word also comes from the one who rules the world. Notice when the angel comes from heaven with this book, he stands on the sea and on the land. Now, this is obviously a vision. One foot on the sea, one foot on the land. And that must have been important enough for us to know because John mentions it three times. Verse 2, verse 5, verse 8, he mentions this picture three times of this angel standing on the sea and on the land. Now you might wonder, well, what, what, what does that mean? We go back again to the Old Testament and standing on the land and on the sea is a claim of ownership. A claim of ownership. Deuteronomy 11, verse 24, Moses said to the people of Israel, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Joshua 1, 3, God said to Joshua, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. So when this angel comes down, holding this book in his hand, standing on the sea and on the land, he is representing the one who claims ownership to this world. The one who rightly owns this world and everything in it. Psalm 95, verse 3, For the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So think of it. When you read this book, when you read the word of God, it comes from the one who rules the world. It comes from the one who owns it all. 
The one who has authority over everything that takes place in this world. And if this book from, comes from a God that great, you can trust it. You can believe it. You can know that what God said He will do, He will do. Because He has the power to keep those promises. We sing that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. All I have needed, Your hand hath provided. You can trust this book. That's why you need to eat it. Not literally, but take it in. Believe those promises. Stand on that Word. God is able to do what He said He will do. So we feed on that Word because it comes from heaven comes from God. It is His Word to us today. And I hope we're taking it in. Saying, Lord, teach me. Feed me. I need to hear from you today. Second thing we notice, we feed on the Word of God because it contains, and listen carefully, what we need to know. Are there some things that you'd like to know that aren't found in Scripture? I have some things that I'd kind of would like to know, but God's Word gives us all that we need to know. Now, something we might want to know, if you paid attention when I was reading the text this morning, John hears something, and he's about to write it down. He said, don't, don't write this down. I've often wondered, what was that? Any of you curious, like to know what it was that John was about to write down, and he's told... Don't write this down. I've often wondered, what is that? But then I think maybe it's good I don't know what John was about to write, because if God has chosen not to reveal certain things, then I don't really need to know them. Right? I can trust God that He's going to tell me what I need to know. There are certain things I might want to know. But God has chosen not to reveal those things. I think of Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may observe the words of the law. The secret things belong to the Lord. So evidently what John was about to write, don't write that down. You keep that secret. So, when it comes to our understanding of, of uh, the end times and, and, and things that we hear about in the news and people's views of, of all that's going to happen, we do need to recognize that we, we don't have the complete picture. Now, here's one example. Uh, we don't know uh, what, what this was. And, and that's why I, I think it's foolish for us to be dogmatic about how we think all the events of uh, the end times are going to uh, turn out. I, I think we need to be careful because we don't, we don't have all the information. Uh, Paul says we see through, through a glass dimly. There are certain things that, that aren't, aren't, aren't clear to us. And when it comes to things that, that happen in our own lives... We don't have the complete picture of those things either. I think all of us would probably say, you know, I don't understand why this happened or why 
that happened or why this didn't happen or why that didn't happen. But God does. And we can trust that he will reveal to us what we need to know. Not all that we might want to know, but all that we really need to know. And one of the things that God revealed to John in this particular vision that we need to know is that history is moving toward a final climax. One day the end will come. And John describes it this way, when the mystery of God is finished. Look at verse 5. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants, the prophets. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel. So if we jump ahead to chapter 11, we see the seventh angel blowing his trumpet. And here's what it says. Then the seventh angel, chapter 11, verse 15, sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord, God, the Almighty, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. The nations were enraged. Your wrath came. The time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. So what's the thing we need to know? God has revealed to us that history is moving toward a final climax. There's going to be an end of the story. Jesus will come again. He will reclaim that which is rightfully His. He will reign forever. The wicked will be judged. The saints will be rewarded. And that's the thing we really need to know. We don't need to know all the details of all the events to come. The thing we really need to know is that this day will come. Jesus will come again. We will stand before Him. And that's why we need to be ready. We need to be in a right relationship with God. We need to know Jesus as our Savior. So when that day comes, we don't approach that day with fear. Because we know that in Christ, we have been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We have a right relationship with Him. Now, this final culmination of history is called the mystery of God, not because it's hard to understand. The mystery is because we wouldn't know about it unless God had revealed it to us. We wouldn't have figured it out on our own. And that's why we need to spend time in God's Word, because God reveals to us, through His Word, His plan for this world. 
His plan for our lives as well. And I think the more we spend time in the Word of God, the more clear things become. Not that we'll fully understand everything, but it's like fitting uh, another piece of the puzzle. Uh, I love doing puzzles with my grandchildren, especially the big ones, you know. Got the pieces about that big, you know, and you got about ten of them to put in there. And Grandpa helped me. So you, you kind of get it going, and then little hint. I wonder if this one might go there. Do you think it would go there? Yeah, it goes there, you know. And little by little then, they start to see, looking at the picture on the box, and then looking at the puzzle on the floor. Ah, yeah. Keep adding a, another piece. And finally, oh, there it is. So as we spend time in God's Word, God reveals things to us. Not everything, but what we need to know. And what we need to know is that history is moving towards a, a final climax. Jesus is coming again. We need to be ready for that day when He comes again. So there's a third lesson we learn here. We feed on the Word of God because it must be received before it's proclaimed. You've got to take it in if you're going to give it out. It's kind of like a computer, right? Input, output. <laughs> That's what it's like. Notice then in the last few verses of our text, John is told to eat the book that the angel had in his hand. Verse 8, then the, then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the land. So John goes to the angel, so he's kind of entering into the vision. He's saying to the angel, um, I don't know how he said it, but can you please give, he probably said please, right? Can you please give me this book? Oh, I, need, I need to get this book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Now, this maybe to us might sound a little bit strange because we don't usually think of eating a book, but that was a common uh, image given in, in Scripture in the Old Testament. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Ezekiel chapter 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll. And then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach. Fill your body with this scroll which I'm giving to you. Then I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. So that description here was... Well understood by the people to whom John was writing. They knew about Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And so when we see this image of eating the book, they, they, they didn't really think, okay, I better start chewing. You take the Word of God in. Receive it. And what happens when you take the Word of God in? In verse 9, John is told, It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So what does that mean? Well, I would suggest to you, it means this, that the Word of God is as sweet as honey to the believer in Jesus because the promises of God are, are wonderful, right? When you read about God's promise,
give you, to dwell within you, to cleanse you of your sin, to guide you, to, to take you to glory one day. What could be sweeter, huh? Sweet. Very sweet. When I was a young boy, there was a guy in our church, Burn Miking. He used to sing to me, Peter, is there anyone sweeter? I must have been a sweet boy when I was a little boy. What happened? But there's nothing sweeter than the Word of God. When we take those precious promises in, it is sweet, right? But John also says, when you get it in your stomach, it's going to make your stomach bitter. So what does that mean? One possible reason why the word will make John's stomach bitter is because many, many to whom he would share this word will reject those promises. They will turn away from Jesus. They will spurn the offer that John is giving in the gospel and they will experience then the judgment of God. And so while he's rejoicing in what he has in Jesus, His stomach is bitter. He feels sick to his stomach because of those who refuse to hear what John has to say. The Apostle Paul experienced this as he saw his people rejecting Jesus. Romans 9, he says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, the people of Israel. He had a sick stomach. He experienced sorrow within because he was proclaiming their need for Jesus and they were rejecting him. Turning their back on him. I'm sure most of you are aware of the death of Kobe Bryant a basketball player in the NBA for the Los Angeles Lakers. I remember that day hearing of his death and I was listening on the radio and I heard several people say that it made them sick to their stomach. And most of the comments were such a young man and his daughter and others that were killed in that helicopter accident. Things like that do make you sick to your stomach, doesn't that when you think of that? But what is worse? Worse than someone dying young is when someone dies young or old without Jesus. That's what really ought to make us sick within. As we think of how God offers salvation through His Son Jesus and many just turn away from it. No time for God. That's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing. And I would argue that it is necessary for us to experience some of that sick stomach as we think of those who don't know the Lord. We would pray for them. That we would seek to witness to them that they would come to to be able to receive that that good news that's as sweet as honey. (laughs) Experiencing those promises of God, that there is salvation, that there is forgiveness in Jesus. Verse 10, John says, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. 
And in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And then verse 11 says, and they said to me, John, you must preach again. I've got more work for you to do. You must preach again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So the message that John is told to proclaim applies to everyone because it's needed by everyone. There isn't anyone who doesn't need a Savior, and there isn't anyone who Jesus cannot save. And so this message of salvation, John, you need to share this to peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And if John needed to, what about us? We're a lot closer to the climax of history, to the end of the world, than John was. Makes it a little more urgent, doesn't it? Who knows? Could be very soon that Jesus comes again. So here's what I want you to take with you this morning. In his word, God has given a message from heaven. In his word, he has revealed to us all that we need to know. So it's time to receive it and to share it. So take it. And eat it. And then proclaim to the peoples and nations and tongues and kings that Jesus is coming again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to receive it, to eat it, to let it become a part of our lives, that it might encourage us and strengthen us. And then help us to share it, that others may come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. We pray in His name. Amen.